Good morning. I'm Charles Osgood, and this is Sunday Morning. A special edition in honor of this season of weddings, summer. We're devoting our show to the topic of love, heart and soul. Not that the course of true love ever did run smooth. There can be disappointment and heartbreak along the way. And sometimes, a second chance. Love's Lost and Found will be our cover story, reported by Tracy Smith. I don't want this to be too painful, but do you remember that conversation where you said, I want to end this? Uh, fairly well, yes, uh, because she cried, and she cried, and she cried some more. 30 years after breaking her heart, Donna Hanover's ex-boyfriend came back. And like a lot of couples in their shoes, the old spark was still there. That brain circuitry is lying there, really like a sleeping cat, and it can be awakened at any moment. I was interested in making a future with someone from your past ahead this Sunday morning. If diamonds truly are a girl's best friend, then plenty of women would like to be best friends with the jewelers Jane Pauley will be telling us about. When it comes to adorning the world's most glamorous women, who does it better than Cartier? Beautiful women do look beautiful in beautiful jewels, don't they? That's right, and that's why they've always chosen uh, jewelers like Cartier to express themselves. Ahead on Sunday morning, Cartier, the fabled French jeweler. Forever yours are no idle words for the couple that hired a very special photographer to capture their very special day. Hey, how long are you supposed to cook shoes? There's thousands of wedding photographers out there. Oh. <laughs> and I try to do everything a little bit differently than them. And hopefully my clients see that. Your, your shoes are done. So good. I'm kidding. <laughs> Ahead, forever yours. Seth Doan looks at young people looking for love in China. Susan Spencer asks if heartbreak is hazardous to your health. Faith Saley has a tale of kiss and tell. We'll have those stories and more. Next, love lost. So you gave up New York for love. She did. I did. And found. And later, a gem of a story. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. Tis better to have loved and lost than never to have loved at all poet Alfred Lord Tennyson wrote. But what about love that's been lost and then found again? Our cover story is reported now by Tracy Smith. It seemed that Donna Hanover was unlucky in love. Today's turn of events brings me great sadness. I had hoped to keep this marriage together. In 2001, her marriage to New York Mayor Rudolph Giuliani went down in flames. And that wasn't her first broken heart. In the 1960s, her high school boyfriend, Ed Oster, dumped her in their freshman year at Stanford. But in the summer of 2002, as she was still smarting from her divorce, Oster gave her a call out of the blue. Told me he was divorced, was going to be in town uh, for some business. Would I have coffee with him? So we took a long walk in Central Park, and he said to me, I'm so sorry I made you cry all those years ago. And I was stunned 
because, you know, you stop waiting for an apology after three, four months. <laughs> Still, there were plenty of butterflies, and a year later, wedding bells. Will you ever let her go again? Ever. This is my lost treasure. Uh, my lost treasure found never to be lost again. It's a great story, but it's not really all that unusual. According to a study by a Cal State University professor, former sweethearts who meet up later in life and are single have a better than 70% chance of getting back together for good. Rutgers anthropologist Helen Fisher. What is it about lost love that is so powerful? Well, first of all, you never forget the person. And if the timing is right and uh, they come back, uh, uh, you can trigger that brain circuitry for romantic love almost instantly and be back in love again. And there's no expiration date. Actress Carol Channing fell in love with a boy in middle school before she moved away for a life on the stage. Seventy years later, she found Harry Collegian again, fell immediately back in love, and married him at age 82. He passed away in 2011. Do these young loves imprint themselves on our brain? I do think they do. That imprinting becomes powerful. Suddenly, that's the body type that you really like. And so you will look for that in other people. So then if that person comes back into your life decades later, whoa. Trigger that brain circuitry and you're off to the races, even at first sight. In other words, the person you've been looking for could be as close as your high school yearbook. Diana Biederman was a 15-year-old sophomore in Old Tapan, New Jersey, when she first laid eyes on senior Vinnie DeLongis back in 1979. I just remember seeing him and just sort of melting. <laughs> melting? Melting. They dated, and after a few steamy weeks, Vinnie moved on. He wound up in North Carolina, a businessman with a wife and two kids. Diana became a high-powered New York publicist for places like the 21 Club. But her love life was one heartbreak after another. I never married. I had great friends. I had a great career. So had you decided, okay, I'm cool, I'm single, this is how it's going to be? That's the way it is. You know, I adopted a cat. But by 2013, Vinny was divorced. And after 30 years apart, he went looking for his lost love, the way a lot of people do now, on the internet. You made the initial connection, Vinny. I did. She actually responded in about two hours. They agreed to meet for a weekend. It went well, so well that after decades of being alone, Diana finally allowed herself to get her hopes up. But when we got to the airport when our little weekend was up, I became this emotional mess. I could not stop crying because I had had so much disappointment in my previous relationships. I thought, you know, maybe I should just appreciate this for the weekend it was and don't plan on hearing from him again. You couldn't dare to let yourself think no, that... No, because, because what if he wasn't going to call me? Everybody was trying to comfort me. They're like, what's the matter? What's the matter? I'm like, I just had the best date. Last February, Diana and Vinny celebrated their first wedding anniversary. This is what's left. I love you. Try a bite. That's stupid. That year-old wedding cake never tasted so good. Mm. Love, it seems, really can be sweeter the second time around. 
Coming up, the science of sex. If one is looking for pornography, uh, uh, one's going to have a long look. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. It wasn't enough that Masters and Johnson investigated all those questions about sex people were afraid to ask. As Martha Teichner now shows us, they went ahead and told us what they found. How has the demand been running? Wonderful. <laughs> uh, beyond our fondest expectations. When TV was black and white, and attitudes towards sex were too, their book, Human Sexual Response, detonated rather than just appeared. Masters and Johnson's work was sprung on the world in April of 1966 to a great deal of shock. Dr. Robert Kolodny worked with Masters and Johnson for 30 years. The fact that a physician and his research assistant at that time had been doing laboratory studies of people actually having sex was eye-opening. They seem so tame. Dr. Bill Masters and Virginia Johnson deliberately cooling down a hot topic. If one is looking for pornography, uh, uh, one's going to have a long look. There's nothing of a, of a very exciting nature in this book. Oh, but there was. And to their own story as well. well Masters and Johnson dealt with virtually every aspect of human sexuality. Thomas Mayer wrote a biography of Masters and Johnson. Instead of the male being the more powerful of the sexes, what they were clinically showing was that women actually had a greater capacity for sex. They found out that older people can enjoy sex. Mayer's book inspired Masters of Sex on CBS-owned Showtime, which shows in pretty steamy detail how exactly gynecologist Masters began his research in 1954. Observing prostitutes. Their studies were conducted in absolute secrecy at Washington University in St. Louis. If I can make the camera small enough, it'll allow the viewer to actually witness it in real time. To discover what happened to a woman during sex. Soon after he hired Johnson, a divorced mother of two without a college degree, Masters pressured her to have sex with him. Two of us should undertake the research ourselves. As part of their work. She said that she really didn't want to have sex with him, but she didn't want to lose this job. In today's terms, that would be... Yes, definitely would be considered sexual harassment. But in 1970, Masters divorced his wife of 29 years and almost immediately married Johnson. By then, their names had long been linked professionally. Masters and Johnson, like Procter and Gamble, a brand. So you would argue that Virginia Johnson deserved the equal billing she got in oh, Masters absolutely. and Johnson, even though she didn't have a college degree. A absolutely. Her signal contribution, to my mind, is that she played a very key role in designing the approach to sex therapy that they took. Then, the prevailing success rate for treating sexual problems may be 15%. They reported an astonishing 80%. 
The best part, the treatment only took two weeks. They taught couples how to touch one another again, literally how to communicate physically, where it had broken down. Playboy's Hugh Hefner helped bankroll their work. As the national dialogue about sex became more candid, they informed the conversation. You have just done what Masters and Johnson would call a premature ovation. <laughs> the laughter was good-natured until the publication of their book on homosexuality in 1979. I assume you consider it a key finding, which some people are surprised at and some people seemingly are disagreeing with already, that you can convert people who want to be converted from homosexuality to heterosexuality. Actually, this is true. Masters was ridiculed, his conversion results questioned. Do you, in your heart of hearts, believe that at some level, Dr. Bill Masters exaggerated, yes, fabricated? At, oh, at the least exaggerated. And then came the bombshell. The couple who taught other couples about sex was getting a divorce. In 1992, after 21 years of marriage, Masters left Johnson for another woman. Regardless of the tragic way their love story ends, fundamentally, their story is about bringing medicine and science into discussion of sexuality. Masters died in 2001, Johnson in 2013, their once famous names practically forgotten. These are the names we know now. Premarin vaginal cream treats vaginal changes due to menopause. Ask your doctor about Viagra. Ahead? Fuck her up. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. Fuck her up is what lovers do before indulging in a kiss. It is also part of the curriculum in a classroom our Faith Seeley has visited. Welcome to class. And no, these students are not kissing up for extra credit. This is a kissing school. The goodbye kiss, think about it. You may never see this person again. This may be your last kiss. Couples come to holistic therapist Cherie Bird in Seattle, Washington for help putting some heat back in their relationships. And for Bird, it all starts and ends with the humble kiss. Kissing is about intimacy. Sex can be about a whole lot of other things. There are lots of different ways of being with people, and if you really want to be intimate, then kissing is a pathway for that. So I would highly recommend it as a primary engagement. According to scientists, saying a couple has chemistry isn't a cliché. At the moment of a kiss, there, there's a very complicated exchange of information that, involving you know, tactile cues and postural adjustments and odors and even the exchange of, of saliva. Gordon Gallup Jr. is an evolutionary psychologist at the State University of New York at Albany. There may be hardwired, evolved mechanisms operating at an unconscious level that, that process these cues and make a determination about whether that's a good genetic match. 
whether we're aware of it, a kiss can be a litmus test, or litmus test, for finding a mate. Kissing is so efficient. Kissing is very efficient. From an evolutionary point of view. It, 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 indeed it is. I guess Betty Everett had it right when she said it's in his kiss, right? Is that song? Absolutely, it's in his kiss. And, and it's in her kiss as well. Gallup has surveyed thousands of college students, and he's found that a kiss on a first date can be the kiss of death. What we discovered was that the vast majority of males and females, on one or more occasions, have found themselves attracted to someone, only to discover if they kissed them for the first time that they're no longer interested. Oh, I know that feeling. Yeah. I know that feeling as well. What interests experts about kissing is its seeming universality. It's estimated over 90% of human cultures around the world kiss as part of their courtship. The first example of a kiss and tell comes to us from ancient India. Our first literary evidence for kissing dates back about 3,500 years. Cheryl Kirschenbaum wrote the book on the science of kissing. So we know people have been kissing as we'd recognize it for quite some time. But when we look at other species, when we look at bonobos or chimpanzees or other animals that do press their lips together, we get a sense that humans aren't alone in this kind of behavior. We've probably been kissing in some way for as long as we've been on Earth. Although we almost all kiss, men and women do seem to kiss differently. Males attempt to, more often than females, engage in open-mouth kissing with tongue contact. Open-mouth kissing with tongue contact is three times more likely to eventuate in sex than closed-mouth kissing. Saliva contains trace amounts of testosterone. This may raise testosterone levels on the part of the female and therefore make her more receptive to sexual activity. Another reason to swap spit? There's an exchange of bacteria between the participants. As much as 80 million bacteria are exchanged between the two parties. Catching someone's cooties can be a boon to your immune system. So it turns out that the kiss may be one of human history's most enduring love stories and mysteries. Because as scientists tell us, we still have a lot to learn about why a kiss isn't just a kiss. Still, Gallup has one piece of advice for the lovelorn. Well, I'm tempted to say if you kiss enough frogs, you'll eventually find a prince. And is this true scientifically? I think it is. All the glitters. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. As the song says, diamonds are a girl's best friend. And to become best friends, women of means go straight to the jeweler that's the star of a recent museum show. Jane Pauley gives us a tour. I'm in the mood for love. The Denver Art Museum called its Cartier exhibition brilliant. 
amidst the diamonds and emeralds and sapphires. Love sapphires. Mark Henderson had his own brilliant idea. When we first found out about the exhibit, I was thinking, this is perfect. Perfect because Henderson was looking for the spot to pop the question to his girlfriend, Annie Seprich. <laughs> Annie told me that I got really serious. <laughs> he did. Just got very solemn and I have to ask you a question. Okay, that's fine. <laughs> so I asked Annie. I was down on one knee at the time. I said, Annie, I want to spend the rest of 2015 with the woman I want to spend the rest of my life with. And then she said, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> the happy couple made it official in front of a panther bracelet and brooch once owned by Wallace Simpson, the Duchess of Windsor, whose own love story scandalized and captivated the world when King Edward VIII abdicated the throne to marry her. I have found it impossible to carry the heavy burden of responsibility and to discharge my duties as king as I would wish to do without the help and support of the woman I love. Simpson, according to curator Margaret Young Sanchez, aspired to be the most fashionable woman in the world. What was her particular signature? She really liked strong colors and very sculptural, bold jewelry. It wasn't subtle, but it also was not overpowering or tasteless in any way. The Duchess achieved her goal with one-of-a-kind pieces like this flamingo brooch, and a necklace of amethyst, turquoise, and gold, designed in collaboration with Cartier. What is the fascination that brings people pouring into your art museum to see these jewels? The jewelry is extravagant and gorgeous and incredibly meticulously made. So you're dazzled by both the beauty and then the intricacy. Cartier has been dazzling customers since 1847. Catering to European aristocrats and royalty, like King Ferdinand of Romania. He asked the Parisian jeweler to fashion a pendant out of this 478 carat sapphire for his wife, Queen Marie. He gave this to his wife not just because he loved her and he wanted to give her some jewelry, but because she had actually lost all of her jewelry during the Russian Revolution. In 1917, the third generation, Pierre, Louis, and Jacques made Cartier more than a royal household name. They were the ones who had the ambition and the vision to say, we don't want to be one of many jewelry houses in Paris. We want to be the preeminent jewelry house in the world. And the name became nearly as famous in the 20th century as the glamorous women who wore Cartier, Princess Grace of Monaco, Hollywood royalty, Elizabeth Taylor, she had a lifelong love of jewelry, and some of it was given to her by people she loved and then other things she purchased for herself. Mexican movie star Maria Felix commissioned a 178-carat diamond snake necklace. And these gold, emerald, and diamond crocodiles. According to the story, she actually brought a little baby crocodile into the Cartier store and said... I'd like you to make me a crocodile out of gold. And so this is the design that they came up with. Those are really accurate versions of little crocodiles. Even maharajas adorn themselves with jewels from Cartier. But as the saying goes, diamonds are a girl's best friend.
at the end of the day, it's a love affair between the woman and her jewels. Well, I would say that that's true. And of course, sometimes it's the jewelry that endures when the love does not. <laughs> Indeed. You have to look inside and figure out what you think is fun and exciting. You got questions? Have a three-way. Yeah. He's got answers. Dudes are dumb. Next. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. Dear Dan is how you might address a question to one of America's cutting-edge advice columnists. Aaron Moriarty of 48 Hours has paid him a visit. Sex is supposed to have a purpose. It's supposed to say something. It's supposed to say, I love you. For nearly 50 years, a great many teenagers don't think anything of going all the way anymore. She was the grand dame of advice columnists. I know of what is going on in people's lives. Ann Landers. We will need four volunteers from the audience who want lap dances. But times change. Today, the lost and the lovelorn... You have to look inside and figure out what you think is fun and exciting. ...are turning for advice... Have a three-way. ...to this straight-talking gay man. Dudes are dumb. Mm -hmm. And sometimes the dumb is genuine and sometimes the dumb is strategic. This is my office. This is where the tragic happens. His name is Dan Savage. And at his office in Seattle, he gets inspiration from Ann Lander's desk. This is my prized possession. Your prized possession. Yes. He bought it at auction just months after her death in 2002. Do you think when you're responding to some of these questions, Ann Landers is probably turning <laughs> over in her grave? No, I don't, because I think we're very much, uh, very similar in our uh, approaches. You know, she was a kicky Midwestern gal, and I'm a kicky Midwestern gal, too. Next question. I am a 25-year-old female. I started feeling attracted to girls in college. One year ago, I started feeling attracted to men again and lost interest in women. What is going on? I think the operative word there was college. He does live shows and podcasts. I'm wondering about open relationships. As well as a weekly newspaper column he's been writing for almost 25 years. It's syndicated in more than 40 papers. Thousands seek his advice. And one of his busiest days is not Valentine's, but the day after. It was the letters on February 15th that drove me crazy. Because people would write me and say, uh, you know, we went out to dinner, we did this, we did that, we came home and, and he fell right asleep or we fell right asleep and we didn't make love. Therefore, obviously, there's a real problem in our relationship. Which led him to one piece of advice. Don't go out to dinner and then go home to have sex. Have sex, then go out to dinner. And you're much less likely to be writing me a tear-stained email, not that that's possible, on uh, February 15th. Savage grew up in Chicago, the third of four children in a strict Catholic family, and was inspired by his own mother. I was the gay uh, sort of mama's boy at home kid, and I would be there within earshot while the ladies were all pouring out their marital problems, and my mother was giving them advice. The Bible. We'll just talk about the Bible for a second. Savage isn't afraid to court controversy. We can learn to ignore the full in the Bible, 
He's enraged many conservatives with his public disdain of the Bible's treatment of homosexuality. And he inflames others with his views on cheating. You think adultery's okay? No. Yes. I think there are times and circumstances uh, under which adultery is okay. And cheating may be the more loving thing to do. When one half of a couple loses interest in sex, Savage insists cheating is preferable to divorce, especially for couples with children. The standard advice to the partner who would still like to be having sex is, oh, you have to divorce that person. You have to traumatize your children. That's the right thing to do. I look at that situation and think, between divorce and cheating, when you're not really cheating that, your partner out of anything that your partner wants or values, your partner doesn't want sex with you. I think cheating is the least worst option. Isn't, though, monogamy the ideal? Yes, disastrously so, it is the ideal. Why do you say disastrously <laughs> so? I mean, isn't that what we should all want to go for? That's what we're all told we should want, and we all fall short. Not all of us. Uh, my problem with monogamy is we're told that if we're in love, we won't want to sleep with anybody else. Uh, the truth is, if we're in love and we make a monogamous commitment, that means we will refrain from sleeping with other people. We still want to sleep with other people. He describes his own long relationship and 10-year marriage to Terry Miller as monogamish. There needed to be a word in between monogamous and non-monogamous. And so monogamish, I thought, kind of nailed it. It was closer to our reality, our lived experience, which we were much more monogamous than not. We were mostly monogamous. We were monogamish. They have an adopted son, DJ, who's now 17. Does your son read your column? No. I mean, would you read your dad's sex advice column? Maybe times haven't really changed that much at all. The focus that people have constantly on what they're not getting in their relationship blinds them to what they are getting in their relationship. It's good and bad. You have to take both. Like Ann Landers, Dan Savage. And I'm always telling people, do this. <laughs> just wants to mend broken hearts. You sound like you really enjoy this, Dan. I do. I love it. It's a great gig. This advice, people ask me when I'm going to stop. I'm like, no, no, I'm Ann Landers, man. They're going to pry this advice column out of my cold, dead hands one day. It's a wonderful gig. Still to come, can you mend a broken heart? Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. To be heartbroken is nothing more than a figure of speech. Or is it? This is Susan Spencer of 48 Hours. In 10 years at the Tampa Bay Times, Andrew Meacham has written more than a 1,000 obituaries. If you drill down far enough... Uh, there's always a story, everybody's got one. And sometimes two people share the same story. It's not mathematically probable that couples should die together, but when it does happen, there's something beautiful about it. Recalling one such couple, Jimmy and Betty Wise, makes him choke up a bit even today. They were in the same room together, at the end, uh, in the nursing home, the bed reels turned down so that they could hold hands. And he had said before he died that he wanted to go help Jesus get ready for her. And then uh, about four days later, she died. 
They shared their love, their lives, and ultimately their 2010 obituary. A retired railroad engineer and a homemaker married 63 years. Do you think this was love at first sight? Yes. I have some love letters. I hope and pray every night in my prayers that we shall have a long lifetime of happiness, growing old together with even deeper love. If you read this in a book, you wouldn't believe it. Wow. <laughs> Their only child, Sandy Brooks, still marvels at the real-life love story in the pages of her parents' photo album. They met in 1945. He was 23, she was 20. Soon they married. They were inseparable. They were playful. They had water gun fights. And in the summer, they rolled back the carpet in the house, and they put uh, phonograph records on, and they danced. And they kept on dancing. Through 37 years of retirement on a Florida beach, they were in step right to the end. I think they both died as they lived. He made the decisions. He went first. She followed. There's something universal, something timeless about wanting to go out together. Romeo didn't go up to the tomb and say, well, this saddens me, <laughs> but I believe I can still have a useful and productive life. That might have been the more reasonable thing to say, but he didn't do that. You may think that devoted spouses dying within days or even hours of each other is just the stuff of overwrought romance novels. But medical researchers will tell you, think again. Is it really possible to die from a broken heart? Yeah, so not only is it possible, but it, it happens. Um, we've seen it happen here. Dr. Elon Wittstein, a cardiologist at Johns Hopkins School of Medicine in Baltimore, published the definitive study on this in 2005 in the New England Journal of Medicine. We called it broken heart syndrome because what we saw was that people were coming in with sudden onset of heart muscle weakness and heart failure after being subjected to some kind of emotional trauma. And the first few people that we saw, it was usually death of a loved one. He estimates 10,000 Americans may experience it every year. What we think happens is that the body produces a large amount of the stress hormones, like adrenaline. And when produced in large amounts, it can actually be somewhat toxic to the heart. This whole heart was, was not squeezing very well. Believe it or not, you can see a broken heart on an ultrasound. The normal heart on the right is pumping fine. The one on the left is lagging behind. While it's not squeezing like this, you have very low blood pressure. You have congestive heart failure, uh, fluid in your lungs. So you could die from this problem, absolutely. The condition is treatable, usually patients recover, but sometimes not. There's no way to know if the Wises suffered broken heart syndrome, but Dr. Wittstein says he wouldn't be surprised. There are other less romantic reasons why spouses may die when they lose a spouse, but there's no question that we've seen the same type of thing where a person really just sort of loses the will to go on and passes quickly after that. We did an interview with a cardiologist who has described something called broken heart syndrome. Does that make sense to you? That would be it. It does. Why go on? This is how we're going to finish it. Although that's sad, it's also um, a reflection of the choice that they made to be with that person forever. That's very sweet. Till death do them part. Next. 
we're not only providing the dating service, we also give them a lot of coaching. Against the odds. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. Finding love in China is a numbers game and a bit of an industry, too. Seth Doan has been watching the matchmakers at work. Looking for love in all sorts of places. Yes, that's a mall. And yes, that's a park. See, finding love in China, this country of nearly 1.4 billion, means a lot of possibilities and a lot of competition. A popular dating app called Momo has, get this, 180 million users. And 30,000 people showed up at a Shanghai dating event we visited, hosted by the local Communist Youth League. With so many people gathering here, my chances are better that I can find a boyfriend sooner, Shirley Xia told us. We're not only providing the dating service, we also give them a lot of coaching. Dating coach Hans Liu works to prepare a population that he says pays more attention to making money than finding a match. Though he acknowledges love, or at least marriage, is a pricey proposition in China. Having a house is a basic element in marriage. In a city like here in Shanghai or Beijing, expensive places, that can be pretty difficult. Yeah, it is pretty difficult, that's true. But people are still requiring that. So for those who are too busy working, matchmaking companies have love hunters who will gladly step in and help for a fee. They scour shopping malls on behalf of clients as a sort of matchmaking mercenary. When you're roaming around the mall, what are you looking for? We're looking for girls taller than 5 feet 10 inches who have a bachelor's degree and are older than 20, Liu Shang told us. What matters most is appearance and personality. He starts by asking shoppers if they're single. And yes, it seems a tad creepy. Why does someone need you to do this? Why can't they go to the mall themselves and look for someone who they're interested in? They spend more time on their work, he said. They don't have time to socialize. Since marriage is important in China, it makes sense for them to pay a high price to find a suitable girl. Don't tell that to these folks. Assembled in a Beijing public park, free admission and low production costs. Armed with handmade signs, these concerned family members advertise their unattached kids and grandkids. My daughter is too busy to search on her own, this mother told us. They come often in secret as self-appointed matchmakers. Signs spell out desires. Looking for a man who makes more than $600 a month, this one reads. Even with no hope, I still come. What else can I do, this mother asked. The younger generation is prioritizing career over marriage, and parents are losing patience. But with an estimated 250 million single adults in China, there's a sizable dating pool, if you only know where to look. Coming up, 
a modest proposal? Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. Proposing marriage these days is an ever more complicated way of getting your intended to just say yes. As David Pogue of Yahoo Tech knows firsthand. Yes or no will do. A simple yes or no will do very well. In the beginning, marriage proposals were pretty straightforward. Yes. What's going on? Where are we? But then Hollywood invented the romantic comedy. Will you marry me? Yes. <laughs> and now, in the age of YouTube, anyone can star in an epic proposal. You were so surprised. There were people around, but I didn't care. The ones that are most viral are the ones where the guy didn't just put himself out there in a creative way. He put himself out there by saying out loud why he wanted to marry you. Carly Roney is the co-founder of the bridal site TheKnot.com. I chatted with her at The Wedding Salon, a New York bridal show. Why now is proposing becoming as important as weddinging. Because now half the people know they are going to get engaged, suddenly the proposal itself isn't a surprise, so how you propose has to be like a double-triple surprise. Like the surprise Nikki Dugan got when she was out at the movies with her boyfriend and family during the previews. In a world where life can change in an instant. Well, at first I thought it was a fantastic movie that I wanted to see. <laughs> Someday, baby. And then about a minute in, I realized this is all sounding a little too familiar and recognized that it was essentially the story of my life. Nikki, will you... Stop, 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 stop. Cut. This is the real deal. It has to be done in person. It has to be done by me, live. So overall then, how would you rate this proposal? It was epic. Oh, good. Thank you, honey. Will you marry me? <laughs> yes! <laughs> Yeah, sorry. It was my proposal, and Nikki's my wife. Now, if you can't think of your own proposal, well, you can hire a proposal company. Everyone's starting to look and see this space as a new industry. James Ambler used to be a paparazzi photographer, stalking celebrities with his camera. Why did you leave it? I wanted to take my skills, I wanted to take my experience of shooting under pressure and try and apply that to something that would actually bring a smile to people's faces as opposed to being feared. His company, Paparazzi Proposals, produces and records proposals. Business is fantastic. Hundreds of proposals now every month. I'm trusting you with the, one of the biggest days of my life. So. <laughs> one of them is Carl Slater's. So basically you walk along here, Today, he's at a rehearsal for his own proposal in Central Park. So as soon as he sees you walk past, drone will take off. Just start to get some really cool aerial footage. And of course, a hidden camera in the ring box. Now, this is a great piece of kit. It has a hidden microphone and also a hidden camera inside of it. This will get her reaction and also the audio. But could there be a downside to the ever-increasing spectacle of love? I've actually heard some girls say, like, I just got engaged, but I really hate my proposal. When you've seen all these extraordinary proposals out there, 
they can be a little bit disappointed. Still, before you pop the question in a big public way, you'd be wise to consider your audience. If you know your wife would turn inside out at a marriage proposal in front of 50 people, 100 people, a million people, then maybe that's not the best approach. So, heed the advice, play your cards right, and charge up your ring cam, and you too will be rewarded with the words every groom wants his YouTube audience to hear. Thanks. This is called walking a mattress. Pretty much just like flattening out the material. Once upon a mattress. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. It's often one of a couple's first and perhaps most important purchases, the mattress. And as our Nancy Giles explains, one you don't want to make lightly. In fact, you need to sleep on it. Did you ever find yourself tossing and turning at night, thinking, what is up with this mattress? In the past, the solution was simple. You could just dial 1-800-M-A-T-T-R-E-S and leave that last S off for savings. Or walk into one of those showrooms that seem to be everywhere. Trust sleepies for the rest of your life. But then what? Do you choose a Simmons, a Serta, a Sealy? Why do they all start with S? Posturepedic, Tempurpedic, Ultra Firm, Ultra Soft, Ultra. What if you just want kinda? And what exactly does memory foam remember? Every study shows sleep is vitally important to a good life, even a good love life. But where do you start? My search for answers began at the McCroskey Mattress Factory in San Francisco, started in 1899 by Edward and Leonard McCroskey. Things haven't changed all that much in the last 116 years. 1,300 hours, it was learning period. 1,300 hours to yes. learn, to train on this. Yes. Gennady Fagenberg has been stitching mattresses at McCroskey's for 20 years. He's from Belarus. How do you say perfect in Russian? Atlichna. Atlichna, atlichna. All kinds of things go into a McCroskey bed. Layers of cotton batting, wool, and foam. Hand-turned springs that they make right at the factory. But the secret ingredient is this one. This is called walking the mattress. You're pretty much just like flattening out the material. Right. Basically, so the mattress doesn't look so puffy. So it doesn't look so puffy. Is that an official mattress word, puffy? It's a lot like jumping on the bed. Did you ever think when you started working here that, you know, jumping on a bed, walking on a bed was going to be part of your job? No, I never thought that. What happened when they asked you to do this? I was happy to do it. (laughs) (laughs) The employees get to take turns. Everyone has his own style. Could a person dance on that? Do you ever, you know, turn up the music and... Oh, yeah, sure. Come on, let's try. Go, baby, go. Go, baby. I think this one's going to be, like, perfect. I think I want this to be my mattress. Next stop, Coco Mat in New York City, where co-founder Mike F. Morvides gave me the Greek goddess treatment. Sit down, make yourself comfortable. Thank you. Um, let me make you a French oranges. 
Cheers. Thank you. Lovely having you in our shop. No one is more passionate about his mattresses yes. than Mike. I would say that I sleep better than, uh, than Bill Gates. Why? Because I have a better bed. Do we know for a fact that Bill Gates does not have one of your beds? I don't know, no. Maybe but... we want to call him and find out and Maybe. hook him up. yeah, okay. Cocoa mat mattresses are all natural. We use rubber, uh, we use uh, coconut fiber, and we also use seaweed from the Mediterranean. Seaweed? <laughs> it was time to go to the mattresses. I'll make you buy one, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> Okay, Ooh, so okay. let's go to bed together. Okay, okay, well... <laughs> How does it feel? It's not hurting your shoulders or your hips, right? No, it yeah? feels good. It feels good? Yeah. Okay, do you think you're going to buy one? Oh, come on. <laughs> eh, eh, not so fast, Mike. I was just steps away from the Heston showroom. They've been making fine beds in Sweden since 1852. Their secret ingredient? Horsehair. And not just any horsehair. Washed, steamed, treated, and cleaned so that it's totally free from any allergy forming substances. Salesman Tim Holly urged me to try the Vividus. This is the creme de la creme. You can compare it to a very exotic car, for instance, a Bentley or even a Bugatti if you want to go there. Okay, so yeah. let's just talk turkey here. Sure. How much does a bed like this run? Well, a Vividus bed, regardless of size, unlike our other beds here, actually cost $108,000. Did he say $108,000? It feels really good. Yeah. Do you get a car with it? No car. Nothing comes with it. <laughs> sadly, no. And sadly, there would be no Vividus in my future. Shopping for beds is exhausting. Horsehair, seaweed, too hard, too soft. I think I'll sleep on it. Good night. Coming up. Is it possible to capture an image of love? The answer is yes, absolutely. Portrait of love. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. Every wedding needs a happy couple, and for many of us, a photographer. Which brings us to this portrait of love from the recent nuptials near Dallas of Michael Marr and Lauren Hall. Is it possible to capture an image of love? Is it possible to capture love in a photograph? Yeah, I believe so. Yeah, I mean, just the body language. Just the way that you can see the love in people's eyes. That one shot, it doesn't even matter what they're doing, just to see their eyes and their face or just how they hold and embrace each other. It's incredible. My name's Inku. I'm a wedding photographer. Ready to roll? Hello, ladies. Hello. Each year, I photograph about 25 to 30 weddings. The first wedding I photographed was eight years ago, and I shot it for free. <laughs> My name is Lauren Hall, and I'm getting married today in Denton, Texas. Oh, it's so pretty. pretty I, love it. I was a network engineer at a hedge fund in Manhattan. <laughs> it's a little bit different from what I'm doing now, it work. No, but it, it I guess it just wasn't fulfilling. This is a handkerchief <clears throat> that my great-grandmother 
gave to my mom, and she says, I'm gonna cry. May 6, 1955, would you like to have this little handkerchief of mine that I carried on my wedding in 1895 to use on your day of days? And then my mom has written, everybody who's carried it, me, Lindsay, and then we'll add Lauren. You know, weddings are full of little events going on everywhere. And then when you're finished with it, I'm taking it back. <laughs> so the Jordan can have it, right? I see things unfolding and um, I want to capture that, and hopefully in a unique and different way. That's just something old. And borrowed. And blue. <laughs> Whatever you're missing. I have a lot of leeway with my clients. They know I'm going to try something different or new, and, and you know, if it works out, it works out. If it doesn't, it doesn't. Hey, how long are you supposed to cook shoes? There's thousands of wedding photographers out there. Oh. <laughs> and I try to do everything a little bit differently than them and hopefully my clients see that. Your, your shoes are done. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> I show photos that they expect and hopefully they're gonna see something that they didn't expect and that's what's unique about uh, wedding photography. I, I have that freedom to do what I want. Oh no! No! You were supposed to be guarding I that know. guy by the way. I noticed, but it's far too late. My name is Michael Marr and I'm getting married today. This is a bachelor pad. I had seen Iku's work several times and it's always just astoundingly impressive. I want to try to catch a dart coming at me. I mean, I could throw it close to you. Four years, you know, we were talking about wanting to get married, but I've always wanted Iku to be our photographer. Looking all pretty. All right. Wait, 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 wait. At times, I feel like I can tell if marriage is going to work or not just the way they interact. Basically, I don't want to work with people who I don't think it's going to work. There's not going to be that emotion, the emotional connection between them, and that's what I'm looking for when I'm shooting weddings, you know? Can I just borrow this chair? Yes, thanks. Lauren and Michael looking at each other, I could tell that they're definitely in love. Is it possible to capture an image of love? The answer is yes, absolutely. It just comes through in the camera, in, in the pictures. Pictures that worth a thousand words, correct? So just, you can definitely see love in a photograph. I'm Charles Osgood. We hope you've enjoyed our look at love and that you'll join us again next Sunday morning. Till then... I'll see you on the radio.